HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, live from the back of Roberta's Pizza in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. You are tuned in to the Farm Report, and I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. And today we're going to be talking about homesteading. Uh, homesteading is a li- lifestyle based on self-sufficiency with a long history in the U.S. Historically, homesteading has been used by government entities to, to help populate and make habitable places that were previously uh, little desired areas. But what does that mean in the modern time? We're going to find out a little bit by speaking with some of Mother Earth, Mother Earth News' uh, 2013 Modern Homesteader uh, Award winners. And first up, we are on the line with Gloria, uh, Gloria Varney. Gloria, welcome to the show. Thank you. Lovely to have you on. So congratulations on your designation as a 2013 Homesteader of the Year. Thank you very much. Um, I wanted to start out by giving folks a little bit of a sense of your background. Now, you and your husband own the first uh, certified organic dairy in Maine. Is that correct? That is correct. So how did you guys get into the dairy business? We bought the farm. um, This is my husband's family farm that we bought back in 1986. And at the time, it was um, a vacant farm. His parents had sold the dairy and we came on with the idea of um, doing something with the farm. He, my husband, you know, had some heifers still, and uh, we were renting our facility for a little bit. And I was still finishing my college career and uh, in community health education with a secondary major in nutrition and exercise physiology. So I was pretty much off the farm for about three years while I worked, graduated and worked in that field. Um, and then back, it was in 1990, I quit my job and came back to the farm just knowing that there had to be a better way of teaching 
health and nutrition and overall well-being than in a classroom or in an office doing one-on-one consults. Um, so from there, it uh, you know it's it's flourished. And what I tell people today is, you know, the store is in a, a thirty by sixty post and beam, you know, refurbished what used to be an old dairy barn. And um, I tell them they're coming into my classroom. It offers them an opportunity to learn about where their food's coming from. Uh, if they have any questions about you know, any of the animals and our practices on vegetables and animals, they can, you know, we're here on premise to ask, and they can go see for themselves. And, you know, the cafe offers that opportunity to taste the difference. And um, so, so it's just flourished in, into my lifestyle. That's excellent. I'm curious, you know, so I'm looking at, you know, the Wikipedia definition for homesteading. And, you know, it defines it here as a lifestyle, as I said at the beginning, based on on self-sufficiency. And I'm wondering, you know, as someone who I think self-identifies as a homesteader, you know, what does that mean for you? And kind of where do you uh, kind of draw lines or make rules for yourself around around that idea of of being self-sufficient? So the idea for me was uh, right from the beginning – you know, I'll back up a little bit. I grew up on a, I'm one of ten children, and we raised all of our food, um, had a huge garden, and we raised all of our meats. And so when I came here to Nizinska and started having my own children, you know, farming is a, a vulnerable industry first and foremost. And so, you know, there's always... I've kind of had this phrase, this what if, you know, my kids hear it all the time. You know, what if we run out of power? Uh, What if there's no grocery stores that we can go to for our food? You know, all those what if questions. And to me, homesteading works to answer those questions. So for me, it's I need to make sure that I have food put away, whether it's in the canned food or dry cured meats or frozen foods. Um, and a root cellar full of food because, you know, those are your mainstays, food and water. Um, and so I want to make sure that I'm able to put that and create that for me and my family. And that to me is self-sufficiency and homesteading and, you know, and honing on, on some skills that, you know, if I can't buy flour, do I have the grains to back up to create flour to make bread? Um, so it's all of those what-if questions that I work to have answered, and I try to promote that to people who come here, you know, because besides being a classroom where they come in, they get to see, taste, buy, uh, ask questions – Visually on our farm, we offer opportunities for people to see and get ideas that they can take home with them and maybe start implementing something on their in their home. And it doesn't have to be a farm, and you don't need lots of acreage to create food. Um, you know, that can be created by supporting CSAs or knowing where your farmer is in your community um, and what can a community do to make sure that they have food security by supporting this farmer. 
So I don't know if that answers your question. No, it but. definitely does, and it makes a lot of sense. And well, so on that, on I'm kind of thinking. You know, we live in a, a world, especially here in New York City, where I'm calling you from, full of, you know iPhones and, and iPads and yep. MacBooks and, um, you know, the kind of swirling all around us of, um, yep. you know, screens and technology. And then, you know, kind of more broadly, you know, as we're moving to a more and more kind of digital world, I'm wondering yep. how some of those advances in technology do or don't find a place in, in your home. And, and do you have suspicion of them or do you embrace them? And if so, you know, to what extent? I, I do embrace them for simply because it allows me to see what other people, other countries, other states are doing, what they're looking at, some trends, um, what are people interested in, and, um, and it gives me some ideas of how I can further be a better mentor um, and also maybe open a few more doors, you know, to bring in internships or to communicate with people like yourself, you know, to, to just educate. Um, and hopefully, you know, when we're done here, that you'll go home and you'll say, okay, well, what if I didn't have my iPad or my iPhone or, you know, because for some people that, that brings on a panic. Um, for me, not having enough food put aside for me, myself and my family of five children, that's what brings on a panic for me. Um, so I absolutely embrace, you know, all technology because it's part of my business um, and it helps move my business forward and keeps me in touch. So, Yeah, that makes sense. And I, it's always funny to me. I mean, I grew up in a very rural uh, community in northeast Michigan and as such have a lot of, uh, you know, basic kind of preservation and, and lifestyle skills from, you know, yep. hunting and fishing to preserving and canning and it's always striking to me um the skill set is uh you know what's transferable when you move from a rural environment to an urban environment and, and vice versa and i know we're seeing definitely here in brooklyn in particular a real explosion of interest in um learning some more of those skills and and almost a fear that those uh, traditions and that craft is being lost. And I think that technology offers a really interesting opportunity for you to kind of share and communicate, uh, you know, what you know with a much broader audience and then also to create a, a record of how those things happen, how they're done. And so that's, that's exciting to me. I'm curious from, a, you know, when we're looking at, um, you know, making a living and, and kind of paying taxes and and how you, uh, you know, have both the financial security and the land security, but also the, the, um, I guess I said it already, the financial security. Where, what role kind of, uh, you know, having a consistent income stream, how that might be different for someone with a focus on homesteading um, would be then for someone who maybe has a nine to five and is taking home a salary and is looking to kind of purchase or bring in all of the goods they need. Um, on a day-to-day basis. Um, I wonder if you can just talk about that a little bit. So, if, if I hear you clearly, you're wanting, you're asking about how somebody can, somebody who's working a nine-to-five can have, try to work towards having food security at their home. Well, well that, and then also for With, you and your family, like what role does an earned income play in, in your kind of overall security? Um, it's a big part. 
Um, my standard of living is probably different than most. Um, I don't put a lot of emphasis on, you know, acquisitions. Everything that we we do we or create or make um, goes right back into the farm. You know, that's our investment, and um, and that continues to flourish and and create more revenue for us. Um, but in terms of you know financial security, the organic dairy really was a stepping stone for us as, as the first organic dairy in the state. It's really what allowed us to stay in this business. And um, but moving forward, you know that has its ups and downs too. And I think to answer your question, it's it's no my I have. I have to have a fluctuating lifestyle because our, our income fluctuates, uh, both on the store end and the dairy end, and our expenses um, can also fluctuate. And unfortunately, in the dairy industry or the ag industry, you know, when our cost of, exp- of production goes up, we can't transfer that over to the buyer. Um, and so because we can't do that, we're always looking for ways to um, build more revenue, and and sometimes that's through the store, and which is why going back to why electronics and, you know, the iPad and Facebook is always important because it allows us to continue to stay up on top of what the trends are. Um, So, you know, it's a business, and uh, it's an ever-changing and... and, uh, Always exciting and keeps us on our toes. Yes, I'll bet. Well, we are just about out of time, but before we go, I wanted to uh, just give you an opportunity. I know that you do work um, with regards to anti-GMO legislation, and I'm wondering if there's anything in particular that you've been working on recently that you'd like to share with our listeners before we are out of time. I'm, I'm working on, which correlates with a non-GMO with bees. Um, I'm working on a project with uh, a woman by the name of Nancy Holman. Um, And for some who are familiar with animal communicators, um, you know, and believe in it or, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm working with her on a year-long project with my bees as a a form of communication to see what's uh, bothering them or if there's things that we can do to change and and so it's been an interesting project so far. We've been into it with, for six months, and uh, the communication that's coming forward is pretty interesting. And um, and some of it is about what we're putting on our our crops and and, and the pesticides and herbicides and what they they cannot absolutely handle. And um, so that's another project I'm working on, as well as just encouraging more and more people to look at agriculture, support local, know where your food's coming from, not to assume anything just because the label says this or that, and um, to ask questions. Gloria, if folks want to come up for a, a workshop or get in touch, what's the best way for them to reach you? Right on my, fa- on my website, www.nazinscottfarm.com. They can like us on Facebook, and uh, we've got everything right on there and our emails there, too. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll be in touch again soon, I hope. Thank you. 
Again, for folks, that's the Nizinskot is N-E-Z-I-N-S-C-O-T. Um, so take a peek at that and get signed up for some homesteading classes. We're going to take a quick break. and we come back, we'll be on the line with the, another uh, award winner from this year's Mother Earth News Star Home Modern Monster Modern Homesteaders. So hang tight. You're listening to Ball of Flame Shoot Fire. This one's called Bayou. Stay tuned for more from the Farm Report. program has been brought to you by s wallace edwards and sons edwards suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color the edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of berkshire pork Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.surreyfarms.com. Excellent. We are back. You are tuned into the Farm Report, and we are talking about homesteading, uh, lifestyles of self-sufficiency. And we are on the line with another uh, homesteader of the year, Don Combs. Don, welcome to the show. Thank you, Erin. So lovely to have you on. I want to start by giving folks a little bit of a sense of of your background. Now, you and your partner operate uh, Mockingbird Meadows, which um, which is a medicinal CSA program. Is that is that right? We are an herb and honey farm, and we focus on uh, Hippocrates' quote: "Let your food be your medicine, and your medicine your food." So I formulate in honey. I'm an herbalist and a botanist. Wow. So. You guys do the production, like you grow on site, and then you kind of, t- I mean, can you break that down a little bit for me? Like where, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, and then in my mind, you make little tinctures and magical pots of things that make me feel better, but I feel like maybe that's not quite accurate. It's, it's along, it's, you're going in the right direction. Um, we are, we're, we're a little different. We do homestead, and so we're growing our own food, and we really believe in self-sufficiency, and that's a big message of our farm is empowering people to take charge of their health. And we do that by raising our own bees and the honey that we use as a base for all of our formulations. And uh, we do also raise medicinal herbs on the farm, and we're United Plant Savers Botanical Sanctuary and a bee sanctuary, and we work the, all of that stuff together to make uh, medicinal preparations for people. 
So can you give me an example of um, what type of kind of ailments or inflictions that you guys commonly produce um, things for that you know people use on a regular basis? With our honey spreads, uh, we have something called Honey Z, which is uh, a sleep tonic, and we have something for immune support, which is our Immunity. We have things, our specialty on the farm is uh, men's and women's endocrine and reproductive health. And so we have a men's and a women's vitality. We do about 13 different honey spreads. And they actually, instead of formulated, like you were saying, the tinctures and the pills and things like that, I formulate in the honey. So they're delicious. They're easy for everybody in your family to take. And uh, we just, we believe you should eat your medicine, not take it. So would it be like spreading that on a piece of toast or eating it like out of the jar with a spoon? I formulate them to be delicious enough to eat them on the spoon, but uh, we we do suggest anything that isn't actively heating or boiling so you don't kill the, the live honey, that raw honey. But uh, we have people who put it in their oatmeal and put it in tea and spread it on crackers. It, it just runs the gamut. And how did you get um, involved in kind of the homesteading lifestyle? Is it something or an environment that you grew up in or that you came to later in life? I grew up on uh, my parents. My parents were Mother Earth News folks, and so I grew up on that magazine. And we were composting, and we were growing a lot of our own food. I I did not live on a farm by any means, but I was taught to respect the land, to respect the soil, to uh, to grow your own food, to put back into the soil. So I I always had that as a background. Uh, I went to college and got my botany degree, and it, it, that's where I got my interest in the phytochemical applications in the plants, how we use things for medicine, and it kind of all then went together. <laughs> my background and my interest yeah. uh, forms what we have today. Now, when we were speaking with um, one of your fellow award recipients earlier in the program, I was asking her about what role um, technology did or didn't play in in her life and, and how she perceived it, if she um, had suspicion of that or embraced it and to what extent, and I would just, I would posit the same question to you. Well, uh, I came from a corporate life where I supported a bank's uh, network platform and all their online banking, so I did, I, I was very involved in it for quite a large part of my career, and I tried to step away from it and come back to the land. Uh, in some ways, I do try and stay away from technology of that point, but if you're running a business uh, in this day and age, you can't, you can't stay away from it. You have to have some connections into the social networking and, and, and having, having your foot in the world, I guess. Uh, but on our farm, we don't focus on technology. We don't have we don't have TV. We don't have a cable package. We we try and be outside. We don't give our kids a computer or games or anything like that to to make them dependent on it. I guess maybe that's 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 a great an- way for me to formulate my answer. We we live with it. We use it in its proper form where it is. We are the masters of it. We do not become its slave. That, that makes a lot of sense. Can you tell me um, the United Plant Savers Sanctuary, um, what, what does that mean? United Plant Savers is an organization that uh, 
well-known herbalist Rosemary Gladstar started. And it was a recognition on her part that we are harvesting a lot of endangered herbs, endangered plants, so ginseng, golden seal are just a couple to name the few. Uh, we are over-harvesting them because we need them, and, and it is fine for us to use them, but it's an organization that's teaching us how to replant our forests how to grow these things sustainably so that we aren't denuding the planet of this plant genetic material and we're continuing to use it sustainably. I'm curious, um, you know, because you have, you had spent time, it sounds like in a more uh, corporate position. Um, you know, I have a, a lot of friends who, you know, work in corporate law and they always talk about the golden handcuffs, you know, feeling kind of trapped in the the career because they're, they've gotten used to kind of the lifestyle. And, you know, people have varying degrees of success of, um, you know, dropping out of that. But I'm wondering, you know, when you transitioned to uh, really focus on something that was, uh, you know, closer to home, closer to the land, you know, if you can talk a little bit about things that were a particular challenge to you, and I'm also curious if there's anything you you maybe miss a little bit. I mean, and, and by way of by way of example, you know, I I definitely do my best to um, you know eat food that I know where the source has come from. But when I was a little kid, I was obsessed with you know gushers, these like little you know corn syrup candies, and I still find myself at the bodega probably once a week eating the gushers, it's like a guilty pleasure that I'm like kind of made peace with. And I'm just wondering if you have any hangovers like that that you'd be willing to share with us. Oh, I think for my husband and I, just being able to go on vacation or uh, we used to live in town and just run into a movie or going out to eat was a great luxury. And now you have a cow and chickens and things that expect to be milked and fed and uh, vacation is difficult um, without a network of people around you. It, it, it becomes very difficult to just have that, well, we're home from work tonight, and what are we going to do? We could go to a restaurant. We could go to a movie. We could go out to a concert. Uh, I think that's probably our biggest miss from the old lifestyle. Uh, we definitely made a contract with our land in, in an old, old-fashioned way where we are working to preserve it and working to do with it what it needs and we are also expecting it to support us and it's a it's a different contract than you make in a corporate world i definitely didn't have any hesitation stepping out of that corporate world but there was definitely a yeah it, it's tempting the paycheck and the the freedom and and the things that, that you have in that world, uh, being able to count on money coming in all the time, uh, it's, a, it's a different living by faith that I have now. And uh, we, we do miss some of that. Yeah. Now, speaking of that, you know, kind of network, that community, you guys are in Marysville, Ohio. I'm curious... Are you kind of one of many operations that are of this similar vein, or are you more of, uh, you know, a single single player on that scene? We're a single player. We're kind of an oddity uh, in our in our community. There there just aren't very many people that are homesteading, and that's something that we would love to see changed. 
uh, more people who have a single-family cow or a few chickens. Just being able to, like I said, for vacation, just being able to say, we're going to go away and uh, the cow needs milk twice a day. Uh, finding somebody who knows how to do that or is interested in the milk or the eggs. Um, yeah, without a, we haven't been able to set up a network yet. Uh, I, I do have apprentices now. I, I teach the herbal uh, as part of our farm diversification as I do a lot of teaching on the farm, and I have apprentices for uh, family, uh, sustainable family herbalism, and that helps. They're now able to, to help us when we go away, when we travel. And you guys also host dinners on the farm. Can you tell me about those? We do. We host dinners that are uh, they're, they're around the moons. So a, a lot of times you hear in our culture, more in the foodie culture, we're hearing uh, we want to know where our food comes from. We want to have a relationship with our farmer. But I find that we're not having conversations about where our medicine comes from, and that's just as important. We should know our farmer in that aspect as well. And when we talk about homesteading, we should be growing our own food and medicine. So these farm dinners, uh, we do believe that people come at it at the dinner table. I think a lot of times I want to encourage people to add dandelion root or burdock root to their food for the health-giving properties, and I want them to eat it and enjoy it, but that's a foreign concept unless I can serve it to them and show them how delicious it can be and how not bizarre. So we do these farm dinners around the full moons uh, in the way that agriculture named the full moons based on what was going on at that time of year. And we theme each of the meals to teach people uh, to reconnect to the land, to reconnect to themselves, to reconnect to their community at the table. Um, that sounds awesome. If people want to find out who people who are in the Columbus area, like my sister, um, wants to come out for a workshop or a dinner, how do they get in touch with you? Well, all of our information is on our website. It's, uh, com, And they can also read about our new nonprofit, uh, foundation, Bees First, which is, we are working to teach our beekeeping methods, as well as the herbalism out, uh, because we have, uh, we had 100% uh, bee survival this year, and we're keeping our bees very differently, and it's how we are going to grow sustainably in our business. So everything can be accessed at our website. Awesome. Don, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate having you on. Well, thank you for having me. For folks who want to find out uh, more about homesteading and some of the other winners from this year's 2013 awards, definitely check them out at www.MotherEarthNews.com. I want to send a quick thank you to uh, Brandy Ernson, who helped me set up the interviews for today. And definitely tune in next week for another episode of The Farm Report. This show, like all 30 of our live weekly programs, are available for free as a download through uh, Stitcher Smart Radio, iTunes, or our website. We are a nonprofit member-supported organization, so if you believe in what we're doing, we would appreciate your support. Click that Donate tab and become a member today. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, 
or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Today's program has been brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm, the first cheese-making co-op in Vermont. For more information, visit www.considerbardwellfarm.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. What's hot at the green market? You're about to find out now. It's the Grow NYC Market Update. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Grow NYC Market Update. We are on the line with Carolyn from Grow NYC's Green Markets. Uh, where are we heading today? Hey, Erin. Today we're going to check out our Sunnyside Market in Queens. Um, every Saturday from June through December, our farmers set up there on a shady tree-lined avenue new, near Lulu Dottie Park. Um, and I recently learned that Queens is the most diverse urban area in the world, which is awesome. Um, and our Sunnyside Market certainly reflects this. Uh, over the years, it has developed into a thriving part of the community that draws an ethnically diverse mix of young folks, families, and uh, elderly residents from the surrounding neighborhood. Awesome. Well, what uh, farmers or producers should we be looking for at the market? Yeah, Sunnyside is the kind of market where you can pretty much get all of your shopping done for the week. So I would definitely suggest bringing a cart or a basket or a ton of uh, reusable bags. Um, highlights include specialty Mexican produce and herbs from several of our farmers, uh, multi-ethnic artisan breads and tortillas from Hot Bread Kitchen, um, and some fresh fish from American Seafood. Um, I always love getting tips from the folks at Rising Sun Farm on how to cook their grass-fed beef, um, while shoppers always love Cheryl Rogowski's certified naturally grown veggies um, and Goodale Farms milk and dairy. Um, and then, of course, this time of year, Breezy Hill and Toygo Orchards have stands that are just filled with tons of different apple varieties. Nice. And I, I'm assuming as uh, one of the di- or the most diverse community in the country, there's probably mm-hmm. a ton of other great stuff to check out when we're in the area. What would you recommend? Definitely. definitely. Well, actually, um, this Saturday, if you've never been to the Sunnyside Market before or if you're a regular, um, this Saturday, September 28th, would be the perfect time to visit um, because we're partnering with Queens County Market to put on a fall harvest celebration. Um, so Queens County Market's mission is to connect Queens communities with local food businesses and to champion and strengthen the local food industry in Queens. Um, and they do this by organizing pop-up markets around the borough that feature a rotating group of local and diverse culinary entrepreneurs. Um, So this Saturday at the Sunnyside Market, your favorite farmers will be joined by Buenos Angies. Um, They'll have some Argentinian cookies, uh, bittersweet NYC with samosas and some sweet confections. 
uh, native coffee roasters with fair trade coffee roasted in Astoria, and ice and vice with some really unique flavors of ice cream and sorbet. Um, so there will be live music, a pumpkin patch, and a bunch of fun family-friendly friend- activities. Um, so we're getting pretty creative with our space here, which is really exciting, um, and we're doing it in a way that will really build community by connecting the market to the neighborhood and to other people that are doing interesting stuff with food and, of course, continuing to further our mission of supporting local farmers. Awesome. Well, I know that you also have a ton of other great events coming up, so maybe you can give us a couple of the highlights. Yeah, definitely. Um, this Saturday as well at Union Square, there will be a book signing with Liz, Liz Newmark. Um, she's the author of Sylvia's Table. Um, also, next Wednesday, October 2nd, is National Kale Day. Um, so we'll be celebrating with the authors of Fifty Shades of Kale, um, Jen Isserlo and Dr. Jooms Ramsey at Union Square. And then chefs from the New York City School Food will be serving kale salad um, at the Astoria Market, at our Barclays Market, um, at Bartell Pritchard Square in Brooklyn, and at our Tribeca Market. Um, And then in the evening, um, on that same day, on Wednesday, October 2nd, we'll be hosting an Educated Eater panel. Um, We'll be discussing regional farming in a changing climate, Um, and that's at the Woolman Hall at the New School. So you can visit grownyc.org slash greenmarket slash events um, to get all the details about those. Awesome. Thanks so much for taking some time out to give us such a great update. Yeah, no problem, Erin. Have a great week. You too. So for folks who want to get a recap of that rundown, you can find out more about what's happening at the Green Markets by visiting www.grownyc.org backslash rmarket. There you'll get all the info on cooking demos, book signings, giveaways, and more. Also, feel free to follow them on your favorite social media stream, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, whatever floats your boat. There's lots of great pics and news there as well. So, of course, uh, you'll want to mark your calendar next Thursday for another episode of the Grow NYC Market Update. Hang tight. Up next, we have Everything's on the Table. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.